Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, August 24th, 2023, the 946th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So last night, we got the ultimate ratings test. Everybody remembers how Donald Trump used to constantly talk about his ratings, and the media covered that as if it was some display of Trump's massive ego. Look how important I am. But the truth is that the ratings Donald Trump was receiving were an indirect proof of how much of the country was paying attention and how much of the country was supporting him. Because we exist in this world where the numbers, the data that we are given about what the people actually believe is itself either totally false or at least 
unbelievable. The census data includes how many tens of millions of illegal aliens. We don't know. So how many citizens are there in the United States? Everybody says it's like 330 million, 340 million. But if tens of millions of those are illegal aliens, it gives us a very different idea about our populace and who we are. We're told that our political divide is always roughly around 50-50, and they base that on voter registrations while we know that there are millions of ineligible voters on the voter registries in states all across the country. And even by voter registries, it's not 50-50. It's more like one-third Democrat, one-third Republican, and one-third Independent or other. It's much closer to that. But they pretend that all the independents are just magically neutral based on their voter registry. And even that assumes all the voter registrations are real. Most of what we're told about our politics relies on the results of elections as reported being true and accurately reflecting the will and intent of the American voter. Those election results are what allow us to declare things like Americans voted for divided government in Congress, or Joe Biden is the most popular presidential candidate of all time, or John Fetterman is a real U.S. senator. But they tell us that the results of the elections, as reported, mean that we are in a blue state or a red state, a heavily Democratic area or a heavily Republican area. And what does that do in our minds? Well, if we know we live in a heavily Democratic area based on the results of elections, when they start implementing policies that only a Democratic area would ever put up with, we think, oh, well, it is a Democratic area according to the reported results of that election. Therefore, I guess we're just going to have to deal with all this crazy communist nonsense. There's nothing that can be done. We're in a Democratic area. And we soon realize, oh, the area is so democratic that I better not speak up about anything because everyone around is a Democrat. And if I say stuff that's going to offend Democrats, who boy, I could lose my entire livelihood. Oh, I'm in a Democrat area. I guess I better go along with mask policies. All of this because they tell you that your area or your state is blue. And all of that is because you got to trust that the elections are very free and fair, very safe and secure, and that the reported results accurately reflect the will and intent of the American voter. But of course they don't. And so using reported results of elections to inform yourself about what your country is like, what your state is like, what your community is like, makes no sense because it's just another false number based on other false numbers, based on the census with all those illegal aliens that they know they can't count correctly, but then they use the results to delegate electoral votes and seats in Congress. The whole number is false, but hey, who cares? You got that census. You got the voter registries. False, false. Then you got the election results. False, false, false. And then what do you have? You got polling where they call people who have landlines and ask them questions. And if those people are brave enough to answer the questions in an honest way, knowing that they can get punished by the regime for saying the wrong things, then at least you have some answers that you can count on. But then what do they do in the polling? Well, they wait the answers so that they can achieve a representative sample. 
What's a representative sample? Well, it reflects the results of the elections as reported that reflect the fraud in the voter registry numbers that reflect the fraud in the census. And just like that, you realize you can't trust any of those numbers. And those numbers are what make up our view of ourselves in a collective sense, the country, the state, the community. I mean, think about this in your own family or your own friend group. When you're thinking about what someone else would want, you can guess and most of the time you'll be right because you know those people really well. But how many times are you wrong? Everybody's wrong a lot, assuming what even the people close to them really want or really think about a certain thing. And so you can ask them and hopefully you have a good relationship. You'll get an honest answer and then you'll know what your family member thinks. But what if you don't have a good relationship or what if the subject of the question is about something that you both know is kind of a sensitive subject? Are you going to get a fully honest answer? Well, maybe. But if there's not that much trust in your relationship, if the person is worried about reprisals for answering honestly, then you might not get an honest answer. So just like that, you can see how difficult it is to know what other people in your own family who you know think. And we are still nonetheless convinced that we have a good understanding of what the country believes based on a series of numbers, each individually falsified and falsifiable but made even worse because they're all stacked on top of one another and dependent on one another. And then to hammer all that home, you have a mainstream media that relies on those various sources of information to support everything they say. They tell people some ridiculous story about reality, and then they tell people that everybody agrees this is how things are. Therefore, you should agree with it, too. Or we have a very contentious issue. It's 50-50 again. We're going to have to focus on fighting about this thing for a really long time. We're a 50-50 country with Democrats having a slight majority. And the Democratic Party supports the LGBTQIA++ and eventually also pedophiles agenda. Therefore, 50% of the country is confused about the differences between men and women. And they actually make it seem like that. And people shrug and they go along with it and they say, yeah, that makes sense. But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. All of those ways of learning about what the country actually believes don't make sense. They're all founded on nothing. None of them can be proven at all. And all of them, if the people spreading those numbers were honest, would admit the problems with each and every one of those methods. And thankfully, there are some good pollsters that do. And again, this is why I say that the results of the poll don't matter so much, but the shift in the polls over time, the direction of change can at least give us some information about reality. This is why we have to often look for outside sources of information that may not give us a direct answer in the way a poll will, but it will give us an indirect answer that is actually far more trustworthy and far more representative of what people really think. If Donald Trump can do rallies in 50 different cities in 50 different states across the country and 
15 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50,000 people show up to those rallies and Joe Biden can't go anywhere and draw 20 people to sit inside his little white circles on the grass, then all of the polling and the 50-50 country and the blue states don't make any difference. They tell us there were 81 million real lawful American votes and we think, well, you know, Maybe there was some fraud, but how much? I mean, 81 million votes. I could see 100,000 fraudulent votes, but not enough to make a difference. Or I could see a million or two million, but not enough. I could see five million, but not enough. Nah, the numbers are all wrong. They can make up whatever numbers they want. They're just numbers. It's not about the amount of numbers when you start with an obviously false number. People keep asking, where is the evidence that there were millions of fraudulent votes in the 2020 election? The reporting of 81 million votes for Joe Biden is proof of millions of fraudulent votes in the elections, guys, because that is impossible. They say it's possible because everybody hated Donald Trump so much. But Donald Trump's vote total went up 20% over 2016, so they couldn't have hated him that much. Where did those 27 million new voters come from? Oh, it's from the mail-in ballots. But mail-in ballots don't increase voter turnout. It's fraud. It's just fraud. The number makes no sense. We know how the fraud is possible. Everyone who cares has looked into it by now. We know that the evidence is there. We know that it's in court cases right now. We know Trump never conceded. Those numbers don't matter. So it makes no sense to accept the number you're given as some sort of default number that you then have to disprove or you have to show there's some influence that would create a big enough difference in that number to change people's minds or reflect something different. That number is false. You don't have to start with a false number and then prove the numbers false. The only reason anybody believes the false number in the first place is because there's a bunch of other false numbers backing it up. And that is why it's important to look at indirect information sometimes, including ratings. And that's why Donald Trump used to talk about them so often. He was showing the public, look at this. The news networks that everybody used to follow, the newspapers that everybody used to read, they're losing their audiences. While every time anything involves Donald Trump, people rally to see it. Donald Trump may well be a showman and may well be good at capturing people's attention and keeping it. But the point is that he has their attention. And over time, that attention leads people into the understanding that, well, 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 there is something different about this guy. He doesn't seem to be saying all the things that politicians have always said for their whole lives. And people will pay more attention to him. And then eventually they realize, oh, he's telling the truth about all this stuff, huh? And then if you pay attention long enough, you realize that no one else is telling the truth about all those things. They might be telling the truth about some of them. And there are certainly people out there arguing that someone who tells the truth about some of those things is enough. That's good enough. That's better than what it is now. But there's no one out there telling the truth about all of those things. And that's a real problem because you have to be consistently committed to the truth over time. 
And you have to be right on the important things. And Donald Trump is the only person who's got those two qualities in public life right now. And people can dispute that all they want. But Donald Trump's popularity has continually increased since 2015. And maybe the polls say different right around the time of the very violent insurrection that we were shown by the media and that virtually no one even believes anymore. So the idea that Donald Trump's popularity has dropped at various points to the extent it's even true is a factor of completely fabricated media stories that people now know were totally false. And upon discovering that, they generally come right on back to Trump, supporting him even harder than before. Now, I've said that the polls with their raw numbers can't accurately reflect what's happening in reality. But the direction of change can, the movement in the polls actually can reflect sentiment changing in reality. And that sentiment is going toward Donald Trump as a person, but not as big as it will be later. More importantly, it's going toward Donald Trump in the way that the Trump agenda and the beliefs of the America First movement are being reflected by the American public at large. The movement is all in our direction. There are plenty of other indirect proofs. I often mention the reported numbers of people who were taking the COVID vaccine at the beginning of the vaccine rollout in early 2021 compared to the number of people who went out and got the bivalent booster last fall. It went from something like 75 to 85% to about 10 to 15%. That means 60% of the country stopped trusting the science at some point. Something like 95% of people did not get their children under five vaccinated. That means they figured out that it wasn't a very good idea. And maybe the kids would be put in more jeopardy by the COVID shot than by being infected with the very scary variant. And then, of course, we have the ratings. And so last night we had Donald Trump being interviewed by Tucker Carlson. Tucker launched that interview on Twitter, now X, at 8.55 p.m. Eastern, five minutes before the Republican primary debate, in quotes, was set to begin on Fox News. And while the view count on that interview is somewhat misleading because it counts a view without someone actually having to watch much of the interview at all, but the view count is still extraordinary. It has been, let's see, right now, 17 hours since then, and it has had about 221 million views. Now, obviously, not all those views are going to be from American citizens or eligible voters or anything like that. We don't need to make those comparisons. And again, many of those people who have viewed the post have not actually viewed the interview, especially not in full. But it certainly blows out the viewer numbers for the Fox News debate. And it's worth understanding that the online numbers will have the exact same problem as the Twitter X numbers. Not all of them represent views or full views. But we can leave the raw numbers aside. We can understand the difference in popularity between the two events. The Trump interview, far more popular. We can also understand the popularity of the Trump interview with Tucker Carlson relative to other Twitter events like Ron DeSantis's disastrous Twitter campaign launch a couple of months ago. 
But you can even take away the ratings and the view numbers. You can say, hey, I can't trust these numbers. I don't know what makes up these numbers. Sure, it's been seen 221 million times, but we know 221 million people didn't actually watch the entire thing. We know that 221 million people probably didn't watch even part of it. So how many did? Well, we don't know and we can't know. All we can know is that it is popular relative to other things. So if you can't trust any of that, what can you trust? Well, you can trust Americans to know what it is they saw as the effect of mass media wears off on them. They are not having their opinions created by Fox News anymore or MSNBC or CNN, obviously. And they're even beginning to move away from having their opinions created by the Daily Wire, for instance. People are learning to rely on themselves and their own point of view, their own perception of what they're witnessing. You can watch the reactions online. You can see what people are connecting with. You can see how they're reacting to the conversation about what they're seeing. And if you understand who the online influencers are, you can even tell what the emerging narratives are going to be based on their tone and their attitude and what they are trying to emphasize or deflect from. We actually don't need any numbers to be able to understand what is going on here. And we never have. And I have been talking about this stuff, not explicitly, but it's kind of implicit in virtually everything I discuss for the last three years. You can watch how people are reacting if you are attentive to the public conversation. You can see how that conversation moves. You can know what information is in front of them, which means you know what information is somewhere in their head, whether or not they are properly prioritizing that information. It's still in there, which means it can be triggered at different points throughout time. What matters is not the specific knowledge and the ability to get each and every detail right. It's being able to draw out the proper meaning from information and from stories. And it's not about how many people are able to do that at the beginning. It's about which direction it's changing in because it's not going to turn around. These are not generally the sorts of issues and situations and beliefs that people go back and forth on. They realize they're wrong and then they run in the other direction. And that's what's happening now. That's what the awakening is. It's not realizing my side was right and now I'm on the other side. It's realizing, holy shit, I've believed all these terribly false things. Now I need to figure out what's true. And then you gravitate toward truth and it is out there. It's not that hard to find. You don't get it spoon fed to you in a beautiful package created by the corporations and then spoon fed directly to you. It's a little bit more difficult than that, but it is out there and it is accessible and people are learning how to access it. It turns out there are all sorts of things you can learn by listening to people and watching trends develop rather than having a corporation tell you what to believe, which is what the cable news is. It's what newspapers are and magazines. And it's what most of the big podcasts and most of the big social media influencers are. They're all funded by regime linked corporations. 
and they are all telling you what you should believe, how you should perceive reality rather than experiencing it and judging it for yourself. And you're told that you should listen to these people because they're the experts. They wouldn't have a show on the Daily Wire or they wouldn't have a column in the National Review if they didn't know what they were talking about. Well, that's not true. The National Review is about eight years into Never Trump. It hasn't worked. It hasn't been correct. Those writers haven't all been validated in their opinions. They just exist to tell you what to believe on behalf of someone else in a way that will convince you to believe it. And so let's talk first about the debate, because in the past, this debate would have been a big deal. Donald Trump would have been making a huge mistake by not showing up. He would need the opportunity to put himself before a national audience. He couldn't miss out on an opportunity to spread his message far and wide on a national cable news network. But he doesn't care about that. He doesn't need Fox News or any other cable network. He doesn't need television at all to spread his message out. He's got his own social media site, which works just fine because the message is amplified from there. So it doesn't matter if it only has 5% or 10% of Twitter's audience. Everything he says ends up on Twitter. Everything he says ends up being reported by mainstream media. He doesn't need the television. He doesn't need Fox News. We don't need Fox News. But the eight fake candidates on the debate stage last night, they need Fox News. They need the national media. They dream of having a national audience because if they don't have that, when the media gives them an opportunity to have that, then they don't get it at all because they can't generate national attention on their own, except for maybe right now Vivek Ramaswamy, but that will eventually pass just as it has for Ron DeSantis, who used to be able to generate some national attention, but is quickly becoming irrelevant. And last night didn't help him reverse that trend. Trump could simply ignore it and still win the debate, and that's exactly what he did. But let's talk about the debate itself. So an hour or so before the debate begins, a report comes out that Fox News is going to sue any media outlet that uses more than three minutes of its debate footage. And Ben Shapiro, the most popular conservative in all the land, went out on his very expensive set and let the country know that they better not use those Fox News clips. And he claimed that they were doing this to help Donald Trump. But he spread the message far and wide. Everybody knew they would get in big, big trouble if they used those debate clips. It's a problem if you use more than three minutes. And that's why I'm not going to use more than three minutes. In fact, what I have done to avoid that problem is make all of my clips one second in length, which means that I can only use 180 of them. And the thing is, I was counting them up and I kept getting different answers. I would be like 182. Oh, damn it. And then I recount and I'm like, oh no, it's only 178. Everything's okay. So I'm going to have roughly 178 individual seconds. Some of them come back to back but I'm certain that it's less than three total minutes. And I've checked a bunch of times. Sometimes it goes over, sometimes it goes under. It's impossible to know for sure, but it's definitely under. And so I'm just making that announcement at the beginning so that I don't get sued by Fox News for all of the $0 that I'm worth. 
But let's get into the debate. Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy were right in the middle. Mike Pence just off to the side. And then you got some other people who also shouldn't be running for president either. But the tension builds and mounts and we finally get started. And what does Fox News do to start the debate? They play part of a verse of the Oliver Anthony song, Rich Men North of Richmond. And that's a song I like quite a lot. In fact, that song is another great proof of just how many people are on our side and just how powerful the voice of our side is when it speaks. Now, I know some people have developed some problems with Oliver Anthony and think that he's an op. But you know what? We're in an age of ops working for our benefit, too, and ops being run by the good guys, too. So you don't know which side the op is coming from. Oliver Anthony is certainly an op. You cannot go from unknown with no fans to that famous in such a professional fashion without already having things set up. So he's not just some random unknown that just popped on the scene with music videos and incredible recording quality and an immediate social media strategy. That is not a real thing that happens normally, but it's okay. You can still like the song. Just understand that there is some level of manipulation behind it and the way it's being presented. Even if it was just Con Inc. co-opting the song, the video, the movement that surrounds it, it's worth understanding that there is an attempt being made to manipulate you via that song. It doesn't mean you have to hate Oliver Anthony or the song or anything. Just understand that you are right now the target of an attempted manipulation. Does it have to work on you? No, it doesn't. But Fox News looked to capitalize on this. Maybe they'll get a social media moment out of it. Maybe they will convince some of the younger people in their audience that they are hip at least for a half an hour or so until Brett Baer begins reminding grown adults about the rules and what the little buzzer means. Hey, everybody, that little bell means you need to be quiet when it rings. Okay, Brett, you need to not call Arizona. So Oliver Anthony's song is very great. The info op is moving forward. Fox News wants to get involved. They're popular. They're with it. They're hip. Hey, listen to this song. All of you eight also rands, all of whom deny that our country has been usurped, that our elections were stolen and that our president was illegitimate. All of you who deny all those things, please say something about the thematic elements of this now very popular song. And do they do that? No, of course not. They take the opportunity to talk about themselves and who gets started? Ron DeSantis. Now, Ron DeSantis was in most ways the focal point of this debate, or he should have been leading up to the debate. The debate is happening the way it's happening with the loyalty pledge and everything else for the benefit of Ron DeSantis. It's his opportunity to introduce himself to the country with their attention focused on election related issues based on the existence of this fake primary campaign. And the loyalty pledge, of course, was forced upon Trump so that if the GOP were to steal that primary election from him and put somebody else in as the GOP nominee, Trump would either have to break his pledge or support Ron. And obviously, neither of those options are acceptable. 
Now, I don't think there's any situation where Trump would have participated in that debate. It is a ridiculous farce that Trump does not need to lower himself to. But nonetheless, provisions like that are put in place to protect the GOP establishment and allow for situations where they can steal the primary election and at that point bar Trump from the field somehow. Ron has been seen as the second place candidate for this entire time, the number one contender, as they would all frame it, except now he's not even the number one contender any longer. Vivek Ramaswamy is. And Ron has largely shown himself to be a very, very bad politician. He is a terrible campaigner. He is terrible at live events. He cannot control his body, apparently. His laugh is fake, totally inauthentic. It completely betrays an inauthenticity that Ron DeSantis had covered for long enough with his brief media appearances. Somehow he can't stop wiping his nose and then shaking people's hands. He can't stop grinding his teeth and he can't stop bobbling his head. He couldn't stop bobbling his head last night. It's the sort of thing you would think a candidate would at least take care of, but he can't do it because that's how he emphasizes his points. I guess he must think he's projecting confidence or something, but you add in the bobblehead with the desperation on his face and in his body language and in his speech, you put that all in with his extremely whiny voice and you know, you're going to be in for a hard time. And while Ron DeSantis's simps were out online claiming that Ron was doing really well and everyone else was doing really bad, no one in reality actually believed that. It was a disastrous performance for Ron DeSantis, and that was the thing that people were watching for. Nobody cares about Asa Hutchinson or Doug Burgum or Nikki Haley or Tim Scott. Everybody always has to remind people that Tim Scott is actually a really nice guy with a really great backstory. And fine, who cares? The point is that they're all irrelevant in the conversation. And to the extent that any of it is real, and I'm not sure that any of it is, but to the extent that it is real, to the extent that these people are running of their own volition and actually trying to win and actually expressing their own personal feelings, all of them are traitors. The election was stolen. They are helping the regime remove and eliminate the person it was stolen from in order to cement that result and give the regime back their control, leaving the election fraud apparatus in place, covering the issue up for all time and ensuring that our chances of ever having a legitimate election are gone forever. So the baseline on any of these guys if they are indeed running for real, is essentially complicity and treason. It is as awful as it gets, and none of them are deserving of any respect whatsoever if indeed they are all for real. Now, a lot of people think that Mike Pence's campaign is absolutely not for real and that Mike Pence has done what he has been asked to do on behalf of Donald Trump, on behalf of the United States of America. And if that proves true, then wonderful. Mike Pence is a great man who took one for the team. And that applies to absolutely all of them. If it's fake, by the way, because all in all, all of this, this fake primary is actually helping to elevate Donald Trump in the eyes of American citizens. And that is ultimately what matters through their own shortcomings and deficiencies, their dishonesty, their image of complicity, their connections to the GOP establishment. 
to the lobbying community, to the military industrial complex, to the global foreign policy think tanks, as you have Nikki Haley essentially ready to sell out the country's foreign policy to Ukraine and Israel. If all of that is real, even if all of that is real, they are still displaying what is wrong with the GOP establishment in all of its variety, which does nothing but benefit Donald Trump. And so my point is that whether it is real or whether it is fake, there are certain things, certain net effects it is achieving, and we can simply focus on that rather than being angry about what these individual candidates are saying while we know that the entire thing could possibly be fake. Now, I've discussed this dynamic more than enough times, most of that relative to Ron DeSantis. If you want to hear the extended discussion on that issue, you can go to an episode that I recorded on July 11th, 2023 on Kfabe, and I explain that in full, but let's assume all of it is real and let's take each candidate's comments at face value, understanding that there might be something else at play that should in some sense reverse our interpretation of each and every one of these moments and events. So Asa Hutchinson basically didn't have one relevant moment the entire night. The only bit of news he made or even could make was when he agreed with those constitutional scholars we were discussing yesterday that the Constitution would prohibit Donald Trump from running for president. The 14th Amendment, Section 3, Donald Trump was part of an insurrection and rebellion against the United States, therefore he can't run. Asa Hutchinson agrees with that position. Besides the man who was stationed next to him last night, Chris Christie, Asa Hutchinson is the most overtly anti-Trump candidate on that stage. Doug Burgum, the governor of South Dakota, was on the other end. He made some folksy comments about how he knows farmers and stuff. And by the way, that's important. That's good knowledge. But when you're a rich guy on a national debate stage, nobody's going to care because nobody believes you. You're not authentic. Everyone can see you're just using it to sound like you yourself are folksy, but you don't seem folksy at all, Doug. Sorry. Maybe you're a nice guy. Don't know. Don't care. Taken at face value, you're just as complicit in treason as the rest of them. And regardless of that, you're not going to get over 1%, so it doesn't matter. Chris Christie had himself a night last night. He had a few big moments. Chris Christie very forcefully goes after Donald Trump. He wants to be seen as the very serious guy, whereas Trump is everything the media says he is. He's a narcissist. He's reckless. He does dangerous things. He only cares about his own personal benefit and his own self-image in the short term. He doesn't think about the long term at all. He has no planning. He's not smart. He is ruled by his demons. Chris Christie accepts the central narrative about Donald Trump and helps to trumpet the central narrative to the American public. He also went after Vivek Ramaswamy last night, and they had a very colorful and interesting exchange, which I actually, to be honest, enjoyed quite a lot. Vivek Ramaswamy talked about he was a skinny guy with a funny last name, which he actually ripped off from Barack Obama. And Christie called him out on it. And Christie was right. That is a line from Barack Obama. Now, it's amazing that Christie remembered that on the spot like that seems like a setup. But hey, 
maybe Chris Christie is just much wittier than anyone understands. And as soon as he said that, Vivek had the best possible quip as a comeback. And he immediately went after how Chris Christie and Barack Obama had that embrace. They had that good friendship. They had the pictures of them laughing and smiling together. Hey, we're best buds. We like working together, even though we disagree about some things when it comes to the politics. We know each other are great men, and that's why we help each other. Now, if that moment was all natural, then amazing. Congratulations, guys. But for real, what happened was... Vivek Ramaswamy said an Obama line, Chris Christie called him out on it, and then Vivek called Chris Christie back out on hugging Barack Obama. Now, for a guy who says that he didn't vote until two election cycles ago and is 38 years old, to have the memory of Chris Christie and Barack Obama hugging is a little strange, but hey, maybe someone in his social media environment dug up that old picture and went after Chris Christie with it in response to Chris Christie going after Vivek online? I don't know. But in an event that seems staged and is on some level completely fake and entirely staged, it did not feel completely natural. On the other side of the stage, in the same position as Chris Christie, we had Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina. I do not remember a single thing he said. He basically just appealed as a nice, normal guy. He's not a Trump hater, but he's not a Trump supporter. Did he have a speaking slot at the Republican National Convention in 2020? He sure did. He was happy to support Trump then, but now he knows that Trump is just not a responsible person and can't be trusted to be president once again. And Tim Scott knows that they didn't steal that election. You had Mike Pence in the second slot on the left side, and he was pretty stodgy, pretty plodding, pretty boring, as he always is. That's kind of Mike Pence's thing. He's very serious, and he speaks slowly and authoritatively. He wants everyone to know that there is a lot of thought behind his each and every word. Pence, as he always does reiterated that he is proud of what was accomplished in the Trump administration. He will always say that he doesn't approve of Donald Trump's handling of January 6th. He doesn't see eye to eye with Donald Trump in Trump's belief that Mike Pence could have sent the electors back to the state for further review by the state legislatures. And there was even a question asking all of the people on stage whether they agreed that Mike Pence did the right thing on that day. It was something of a loyalty test. They wanted to make sure that there weren't any election deniers on that stage. Now, for many people on our side of things, Mike Pence's status is in the eye of the beholder. I'm on the fence on that one, and I could see it going either way and have argued for it going either way. But according to a Paul Sperry tweet this morning, this happened after the debate last night. He said breaking in a post-debate spin room interview last night with CNN's Dana Bash, former Vice President Mike Pence acknowledged, quote, there were irregularities in the 2020 election. So what we have is a vice president who knows that the election was stolen but nonetheless agreed that the electors from the states were in their proper form, and he claims he had no choice but to accept them. 
Now, I do not accept that answer, and Donald Trump does not accept that answer, but it's possible that Mike Pence really believes that, or it's possible that Mike Pence was playing the role he was asked to play so that that conversation could be had. There are, of course, people who argue that that had to happen in order to prevent Kamala Harris from overturning the election when Trump wins in 2024. And that may be some justification for Mike Pence doing what he did after the fact. But it's not an argument that what Mike Pence did is actually right, because if he had the ability to send the electors back to the states and the states were able to investigate the elections, determine that there was no way their elections were certifiable and then cast their votes as states via their congressional delegation, as the Constitution allows, there would have been no opportunity for Kamala to approve or disapprove of the electors after the 2024 election. So it makes no sense to claim that all of this was done to avoid that situation. That situation never would have arisen in the other instance. Now, Mike Pence is not going to be president. He's not going to win the GOP nomination in 2024. So the only thing that really matters is that answer and how we see that answer play out in the future. If it turns out that Mike Pence did the right thing, then he will essentially be an American legend, having sacrificed what he sacrificed in terms of the heat he's taken and the damage to his public image and reputation that he has had to deal with and endure over the last three years. That would be a great sacrifice. And that's why I don't focus any of my time on being mad at Mike Pence. But hey, if it goes the other way, then that guy is as complicit as anyone. He would be one of the worst at that point. His act was either necessary and therefore selfless, or it was totally self-serving and he aided directly in the usurpation of the United States of America. Now, is Mike Pence the sort of guy that would do that? He doesn't seem to be. But then again, he might be actually running in a fake primary in order to eliminate Donald Trump and cover up the theft of the 2020 election forever. So those two things would be entirely consistent. Now, on the opposite side of Mike Pence, you have Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor, and she imagines that she is an extremely serious person because Trump made her U.N. ambassador. And that must mean she has vast foreign policy experience and she is right about foreign policy. And she spent a lot of time asserting that last night. She compared herself to Vivek Ramaswamy. He was the novice on stage. He doesn't have the political history. He doesn't have the foreign policy experience. Therefore, he can't be listened to. Nikki Haley is the serious foreign policy wonk. That's why she was UN ambassador. And what would that mean? Did Trump find a regime stooge and put her in a position where he could watch her actions, monitor her communications, know that the U.N. stuff is under control because Nikki Haley is under control? Well, that's possible. Or she is a loyal and patriotic American who served in that role and is now serving in this role of playing the foreign policy foil. The person who seems to have an agenda that does not reflect an America first agenda, a person who wants to serve the global regime and believes in the global regime's agenda, that whole project. 
And that was reflected in her answers about Ukraine. She wants to continue funding Ukraine. She believes that Ukraine can beat those dastardly Russians. And she says that the United States needs Israel as a bulwark from Iran, which makes absolutely no sense. And in the real world, Iran is essentially under control right now. It seems to me that the regime has largely been removed from Iran. Not so long ago, 40 years or so ago, Iran was a thriving sovereign nation, and then they essentially just became another one of the regime's proxy states. Now, we can have great relationships with Israel and understand that our relationship with Israel can be mutually beneficial at times, but we certainly don't need Israel to save us from Iran. All of that was absurd. Vivek Ramaswamy called Nikki Haley out on being a stooge of the military industrial complex. At points, he called all of them out for being sold out and stuff like that is great to see. In fact, Vivek had most of the moments last night and we'll get to that in a second. But let's first talk a little bit about Ron. So Ron came out with his first answer, head bobbling, voice whiny, eyes like a deer in the headlights. His entire persona last night was panicked and desperate. Those were the two most obvious things he was exuding, panic and desperation. He knew he needed to absolutely nail it. He had rehearsed all these winning lines that he was sure he was going to land, and he decided that he was going to deliver them forcefully and with confidence. And perhaps that's what he tried to do. Perhaps he actually felt like he was doing it but it didn't translate at all. He came off looking very small and very whiny and very petty. In his first answer of the night, he said, we are a country in decline. That is a Donald Trump line. That is the line that leads into the end portion of Donald Trump's rally speech. And it has been for well over a year now. And it's quite simple to check that for yourself. The Independent UK, August 10th, 2022. We are a nation in decline. Trump releases new campaign clip in response to FBI raid. It's the portion of his rally speech that he plays over that Q adjacent song. That's not Ron's thing. That's Trump's thing, which means that Ron's thing is taking Trump's thing and trying to make it his which is just another factor of his inauthenticity, and people can read it. If you want to know which direction things are going to go in after last night for Ron DeSantis, you don't need the polls. You just need to look at him and understand there is no one who doesn't know what this is. It is something basic and natural inside us. It is instinctual. We know when someone looks scared. We know when someone looks panicked. The pundits can say what they want to say. The news media can write the articles they want to write, but people know what they saw. And it wasn't like he was just a little nervous at the beginning and then settled into it. Every one of his answers was like that. He sounded like Hillary Clinton by the end of the debate. Every one of his answers made him look small and overly rehearsed, totally unserious, totally not up to the task. And it's actually far worse than that. And I'll get to that in a second. But in the midst of his second answer, of course, he had to bring up Anthony Fauci because one of the pillars of his campaign is attempting to blame Donald Trump for COVID stuff. 
He's saying Donald Trump didn't do enough of the right things that Ron DeSantis also did not do, while all of Ron DeSantis's supporters were saying that Donald Trump was being irresponsible at the time for how he was handling COVID. He wasn't taking it seriously enough. He wasn't listening to the experts enough. He was saying all these dumb things in the press conferences that they weren't watching. Throughout the entire time, Trump was branded and identified with the positions that they are now pretending they inhabited throughout 2020. What did it mean to be anti-lockdown in 2020? It meant you were a Trump person. What did it mean to be anti-mask? Oh, you're on the Trump side. What did it mean to be anti-vax? It meant you were a Trump supporter. And I'm not saying that Trump supporters were the only ones who refused it. Understand what I'm saying. I'm saying that being anti-vax became identified in the public mind as being pro-Donald Trump. They're the same things. That's why it doesn't matter that Donald Trump has said he thinks Operation Warp Speed is good. And if you want to hear the argument for that, I have an episode called The Trump Vaccine that explains all of that at length. When someone is identified with a certain idea broadly across the public, you can't just brand against that. It's never going to work, and it hasn't worked. They've tried it for 10 straight months. It was always going to be a failure and it has been a failure. People do not blame Donald Trump for the vax that other people decided to take and that people like Ron DeSantis actually pushed. I posted an article from Fox News the other day, a couple years old. It's Ron DeSantis bragging on the news about how he was bringing the first round of vaccines to Holocaust survivors and elderly veterans. His supporters are saying that the vaccine was very deadly and it's all Donald Trump's fault. But Donald Trump didn't make anyone take it. He didn't mandate it. He wasn't even president at the time. Ron DeSantis did. In fact, he traveled around Florida giving it to the elderly first. So if it's deadly, what does that mean Ron DeSantis did at the beginning of COVID by taking it to Holocaust survivors and elderly veterans? Oh, wait, he killed the only living people who would have memories of what actually happened in World War II? Gosh, that was probably an accident. Figure out how that one is Trump's fault, Ron people. It is immoral, not to mention stupid, to blame someone else for your own bad decisions or to blame a third party for someone else's bad decisions. And when you see people doing something so stupid and immoral, you should not assume that they actually believe those things. They find those things useful and functional. They want to take down Donald Trump and they think that that is a path toward doing it. That is both smart and moral. They're wrong about both of those things. But hey, they also pretend that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. So being wrong about those sorts of things is a common occurrence for those people. Now, there were three key moments last night, and all of them involved Ron DeSantis. All of them were spectacular failures for Ron. And the person who took the most advantage of that, of course, was Vivek Ramaswamy. Now, the first of those was when the Fox News hosts asked the candidates to raise their hands if they believed in man-made climate change. Ron decided he would take it upon himself to jump into the fray. 
Hey, nobody raise your hands. I'm going to take this question on and I'm going to give the best possible answer on climate change. Here it is. And this is only 17 seconds long. Human behavior is causing climate change. Raise your hand if you do. Well, look, we're not school children. Let's have the debate. I mean, I'm happy to take it to start. Alexander, so do you want to raise your hand or not? I don't think that's the way to do. So let me just say to Alexander this. First of all. Now, apologies if that was a bit quiet. But what happened is she asks for a show of hands to see who agrees if human behavior is causing climate change. Asa Hutchinson immediately starts raising his hand, but Ron cuts it off and saves everybody else. Hey, none of you establishment Republicans are going to be forced to be put on the record about man-made climate change. I'm Ron DeSantis. I'm going to step into the fray and save you all, including myself. And that's exactly what he did. He thwarted that question. He made it so that all of those establishment Republicans could skate on that. The public now understands that the climate change agenda is a hoax and those Republicans should be put on record. Now, again, we're taking it at face value, but if they expect to be president, they can avoid answering hard questions. That's their job. If they're going to stand up for America in the face of the global agenda, they should have no problem answering that question. They should relish the opportunity to answer that question and take a leadership position on the issue. And that's something Mike Pence actually had an opportunity to hammer Nikki Haley about later on. She said there was no way 60 senators would agree to do something. Therefore, she should take an unprincipled position that is more likely to win consensus. That is a terrible, terrible brand of politics. And it also allows the politician to skip saying the principled thing at all because that's not practical. And they, with their experience and seriousness, know that a pragmatic response is the right response. Don't act out of principle. Don't have principles. Don't lead the country toward principles. Just figure out what is pragmatic and do that. That brand of politics is obsolete. That brand of politics is long gone. Nobody wants that. And Vivek Ramaswamy is apparently the only candidate on that stage that understands that those candidates got away without raising their hands and without stating a position. But Ramaswamy wanted his position on the record. And so he put it on the record. Let us be honest as Republicans. I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for. So I can say this. The climate change oh, agenda whoa, 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 whoa. is a oh, hoax. Is the climate this change is agenda is a hoax. And we have to declare independence for it. And the reality is the anti-carbon agenda is the wet blanket on our economy. Now, that's a great answer. The climate change agenda is a hoax. The anti-carbon agenda is a wet blanket on our economy. The bought off politicians on that stage aren't allowed to say that. And the audience last night was very much made up of uniparty right villagers, just absolute normies who have no idea what's going on and just want to see everybody be nice to one another. And so Vivek Ramaswamy called everybody else out as a sellout that was not approved of. So they booed loudly when he said that. And anti-Trump pro-Ron outlets like Town Hall focused on the booze rather than the fact that someone on a Republican national debate stage actually said climate change is a hoax. Someone finally told the truth and they're focused on the booze from the crowd because he said the other politicians were bought off. That's your very conservative outlet, Town Hall. Town Hall, Red State, PJ Media, Daily Wire. 
And then, of course, all the ones that are even more globalist than those. But all of them are uniparty right villagers who deny election fraud and are supporting non-Trump candidates. That's all you need to know. And yes, yes, if it's all an info op, then fine, all bets are off. But we can't assume that. All we know for sure is that they are extremely anti-Trump and extremely pro-Ron. Maybe they have a positive hidden agenda and I'm just not noticing. Here is another disastrous moment for Ron DeSantis. You all signed a pledge to support the eventual Republican nominee. If former President Trump is convicted in a court of law, would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would. And for the record, the Vivek video, 21 seconds. This video, 20 seconds. So we're up to 58 seconds. Now, what you can't see, because this is only audio, is the fact that Vivek Ramaswamy's hand popped right up and then Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, and Doug Burgum all put their hands up. Ron Disaster, I mean DeSantis, looked around on the stage, saw that four hands had already gone up, and then raised his hand halfway. Now, is it kayfabe or not? Raising his hand halfway after looking around to see who else has already taken the plunge is very in line with everything we've seen from the Ron DeSantis campaign. It is also such an unbelievably bad moment for Ron DeSantis that you almost think it has to be fake. Either way, Ron's whole thing is being bold and brash and willing to take on the left. He's the man who knows how to get things done. He's the strongest leader, the most capable. Except in one moment, he just proves he's absolutely none of those things. He doesn't even have enough principles to stand on his own about an important issue like that. And that sort of thing happened over and over again last night for Ron DeSantis. He was exposed over and over again as exactly that guy. And if it's all fake, he is a damn good actor. The moderators brought up the abortion issue. They talked about how there were proposals for a nationwide abortion ban and how Ron had signed a six-week abortion ban in Florida, whether or not he would support that nationwide. He couldn't answer. He went through a long personal story to suggest that he really deeply cares about the abortion issue. And then he was pressed for his answer and still declined to answer. Here it is. One minute, four seconds. That will bring us up to two minutes, two seconds. You got to do what you think is right. I believe in a culture of life. Uh, I was proud to sign the heartbeat bill. Uh, I remember one of the most impactful moments of my life was when I heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh, in my wife's womb and then saw the sonograms of all three of my kids. What the Democrats are trying to do on this issue is wrong to allow abortion all the way up to the moment of birth. I know a lady in Florida named Penny. She survived multiple abortion attempts. She was left discarded in a pan. Fortunately, her grandmother saved her and brought her to a different hospital. We're better than what the Democrats are selling. We are not going to allow abortion all the way up till birth, and we will hold them accountable for their extremism. But just to be clear, Governor, would you sign a six-week ban federally? I'm going to stand on the side of life. Look, I understand Wisconsin is going to do it different than Texas. I understand Iowa and New Hampshire are going to do different. But I will support the cause of life as governor and as president. 
So he can't answer. He can't answer whether he would sign the bill. That would mean a bill would have already passed the House and the Senate, and he can't answer whether or not he would sign it. That's not a mistake. He had multiple opportunities to answer, and he didn't answer. He declined to answer. And he compared his policies to the most extreme Democrat policies. Now, I'm not defending Democrats at all. Their policies really are that extreme. And it's important that we make sure that stuff is not happening ever, ever. It's absolutely sickening. But being opposed to that is not the same as having a positive position. Being opposed to that is easy. Most Democrats are opposed to that. Now, most Democrats also will deny that their party is actually pushing for that anywhere, and they are wrong about that. They don't want to accept that their party would do something that evil, so they simply deny it. But most Democrats, when presented with that situation, know that it's wrong and will say it's wrong. That is not bold leadership. And that actually wasn't even the last example. So there's those three. And then, of course, there's Ukraine. And he and Vivek went head to head on that, too. The moderators ask, who would not support increased funding to Ukraine? Vivek raised his hand immediately, and then Ron struggled up with his. Is there anyone on stage who would not support the increase of more funding to Ukraine? We would, I mean, would not Europe, support it. Europe needs to step up. I mean, I would have Europe step up and do their job. Uh, Mr. Ramaswamy, Europe... But you're saying you would not too, Governor DeSantis? I will have Europe pull their weight. Uh, right would, now, they're not doing you that. Would not support and I think we need to do, and, and I think our support should be contingent on them doing it. And I would have support in China uh, to be able to take uh, to be able to take China um, and do what we need to do with China. Mr. Ramaswamy, you would not support an increase of funding to Ukraine. I would not. And I think that this is disastrous that we are protecting against an invasion across somebody else's border when we should use those same military resources to prevent across the invasion of our own southern border here in the United States of America. We are driving Russia further into China's hand. So that clip was 57 seconds, which puts me at exactly 179 seconds total. So Fox News is not allowed to sue me. But once again, Ron Disaster has another disastrous answer. And he sounds whiny. He sounds panicked. He sounds desperate. And he sounds a lot like Hillary Clinton. He's basically just nagging everyone. He's going to make Europe pay their fair share. He sounds like Bernie Sanders describing tax policy on corporations. It's embarrassing. There's no principle there. There's no knowledge of what's happening over there. And once again, he wouldn't take a clear stance. He could simply say, no, we have funded Ukraine more than enough for an effort that is obviously failing and was probably ill-advised at the beginning. The best course of action is a negotiated peace so that the killing stops. That is an entirely rational and reasonable answer unless you have to please the people who are directing and profiting from the war. But he knows that he can't come out in favor strongly of Ukraine the way Nikki Haley does. Or it'll be obvious that he's a tool of the establishment. And you can't have that because his whole campaign is about painting him as not a tool of the establishment. Because he's got to win over MAGA even while he lies about election fraud and has hired a comm staff that is awful to Trump supporters online. 
Now, it's quite clear that Vivek Ramaswamy was the winner of last night's debate. Again, the debate is fake. It's a comical farce. It doesn't matter. The primary campaign is fake. There is no real primary happening. But as long as we're analyzing things at face value, Vivek Ramaswamy was far and away the winner. Normies out there, standard issue villagers who don't know about anything would have come away understanding that he won the debate. He is a young, fresh face speaking these ideas that they know internally to be true because they like them when Trump says them, but they just don't like Donald Trump. They just can't support Donald Trump because other people will think, oh my goodness, you're one of those Trump supporters. You're a bad person. And people just don't have the internal fortitude to be able to stand up for what they actually believe in. They would rather just have a free ride on all of it. That's why they'll pretend to support Ron DeSantis. He's just like Trump, but not as bad. And they'll pretend to support Vivek Ramaswamy. He's got all Trump's ideas, but you can't be called a conspiracy theorist for supporting Vivek. And with a population of voters who believe themselves to be bold and expect boldness, but cannot actually recognize boldness and do not understand that they themselves are not bold, we end up having to keep pretending. That there is some other option, an option other than Trump, that can bring the good things about Trump, but without all those bad things, so that nobody actually has to defend their own principles and beliefs, because that might sacrifice part of their self-image within the party of false decorum, and you just can't do that. Now, I want to be clear that I am no fan of Vivek Ramaswamy. I think that he is inauthentic, just not as bad as Ron. And while I don't believe that Vivek believes everything he's saying. The things he's saying are also consistent and he's saying them. That is much better than trying to build a political agenda out of the needs of various interest groups when they are sometimes in conflict and don't seem to even possibly represent the coherent beliefs of a real person. And of course, Ron had the worst night. Now, there were candidates on that stage who should not be in another debate and should not be taken seriously by anyone. But in a normal, rational world, Ron DeSantis would be one of those candidates. He showed himself to be exactly opposite of what his campaign attempts to brand him as. Ron DeSantis is false advertising. He was a media creation throughout COVID. He was not good on COVID the way people pretend he was good on COVID. He was shown as the controlled opposition example. There were other governors who were better than Ron DeSantis on COVID. Christy Nome was one of them, but she's not running for president. She's supporting Donald Trump. Florida is a fine state, but it's not because of Ron DeSantis. He bragged about having the biggest Republican victory ever in Florida, but did he achieve that or did the system achieve it? And if he achieved it, How in the hell does a Democrat win the mayoral race in Jacksonville just a few months later in the age of Ron? Not possible. The regime steals elections in Florida and Ron DeSantis should be presumed to be the beneficiary of election manipulation. They were expecting a four or five point win and he got a 20 point win. How does that happen? Now, who knows how much media support Ron will get? There is some indication that Con Inc. and the media are going to jump onto the Vivek train. They feel like maybe that's the thing that's trending. They're not getting Glenn Youngkin. It doesn't look like they're going to get Brian Kemp. And Ron DeSantis clearly is not going to work out. 
Donald Trump has begun saying that Ron DeSantis is done. He's finished. There's nowhere else for him to go. It's not going to work. And so while all of this was going on, the pre-recorded interview between Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump was playing on X. I would encourage everyone to listen to or watch that entire interview. There was so much in it. I could probably spend two hours just on that interview. And in the interest of time, mine and yours, I'm not going to do that. But I want to bring up a couple interesting moments and some really funny ones. So let's start here. It would have never started. So back to Biden, I'm interested. So you think he's failing. He obviously is failing. I think it's clear to everybody. But that would make Kamala Harris the candidate? Well, not really. I mean, I guess they'd have uh, maybe a free-for-all. A lot of people say she has to remain for certain reasons, the candidate. She has to. I don't think that's true, actually. I don't think that other people would stand for it. Uh, She has some bad moments. Her moments are almost as bad as his. I think his are worse, actually. Yeah. But she seems pretty senile, too. She speaks in, uh, in rhyme. And, uh, it's weird. It's weird. But she has bad moments. And in rhyme? What do you... Well, the way she talks, the bus will go here, and then the bus will go there, because that's what buses do. And it's weird. The whole thing is weird. This is not a president of the United States future. Now, that was hilarious, but it was also pretty interesting. He doesn't think it can be Kamala. He thinks Joe might stick around for the election, but he also says that he doesn't think Joe can make it to the gate. Maybe something's going to happen to Joe and he's not going to be in there. Would it turn over to Kamala? A lot of people are saying that can't happen. Who are those people? Well, there might be legal reasons that Kamala couldn't run. It also, of course, might be a fake election. But there's also Gavin Newsom and Big Mike back there. And it could very well be Barack Obama making this very important decision. A couple minutes later, he addresses who might be running the country. So do you think the rest of the world looks on at Biden and thinks someone else has got to be running the government? Well, somebody else has to be. Uh, I don't think he's capable of doing anything. Look, when I debated him, I said, how come? And this was in front of probably not a friend of yours, Chris Wallace. He was the moderator. Not a friend. I said, why did, why is it, he wants to be Mike, but he doesn't have the talent. It's one of those bitchy little little man. He wanted to be his father, but he didn't have the talent of his, his father was great. His father, little fussy man. His father interviewed me in 60 (laughs) minutes. It was actually a 10. Can you believe it? No, I totally, his father had talent at least. I may have been the only guy that he gave a good 60 minutes. So he was rough. His father was tough. He was great though. He was great at what he did. But uh, Chris Wallace was so upset. He was guarding this guy. Somebody else has to be running the government. Is it Obama or some other member of the regime? Or could it be Trump? Maybe one day we'll find out. And then Trump gets into his bit about Chris Wallace and how Mike Wallace was much more talented. He talks about how Chris Wallace tried to cover and protect Joe Biden at the presidential debate in 2020. And he mentions how Wallace was covering up Trump's assertion that Biden took money from the former mayor of Moscow's wife. That is something Joe Biden did do. Trump was right. Wallace helped cover it up for Biden. Now everyone knows the truth. But that actually wasn't even the worst Chris Wallace moment of that debate. If you remember, they were asking Donald Trump to tell the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by or stand by and stand down. They gave like three different combinations. And then Trump muddled them up and said something. And everybody pretended that Donald Trump was dog whistling to the Proud Boys. Like as if somehow this random group that nobody really pays any attention to were Donald Trump's foot soldiers to attack after the election. 
It was their side that set all that up. You can read about it in the Transition Integrity Project. And if you're kind of new to this whole body of thought, go ahead and look up the Transition Integrity Project and read it for yourself. Much of it was also described in the Molly Ball article from early February 2021, talking about how the cabal was fortifying their election. Her words, not mine. Trump addressed the recent indictments. I think the people of our country uh, don't get enough credit for how smart they are. And I'm not sure I would have said this 10 years ago, but they get it. You know, they really get it. When somebody gets indicted, your poll numbers go down. When somebody gets indicted, you announce, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be leaving to spend time with my family and to fight for the rest of my life on this stuff. But you're out of politics. I got indicted four times. All trivia, nonsense, bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's horrible when you look and, and you look at what they're doing. Now, is Trump just being hyperbolic or should we take him literally? He's telling you the indictments are all bullshit. Do you believe him or not? Is he being literal or is he just being serious even though he's not literal? Maybe one day we'll find out. Now, there were a couple of good segments on election fraud and cheating in elections. Here's the first one. Go back and we should go back to all paper ballots, voter ID, same day voting. You know, France did it. France had uh, mail-in ballots and it was terrible. Anytime you have mail-in ballots, you're going to have massive cheating on your elections. Anytime, not just the presidential election. Anytime you have... Isn't that the whole point of them? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. It's the whole point. That's the whole point. They want to cheat. Yeah. They have to cheat because their policies are so bad that if they didn't cheat, they couldn't get elected. Who wants open borders? Who wants high taxes? Who wants high interest rates? Who wants to not be able to use a gas stove? If they didn't cheat, they couldn't win. That's why they build the system the way they build it. That's why the censorship, why the propaganda. The ideas can't get them there because the ideas aren't popular. It doesn't matter what the polling says. Everyone can intuit it. Everyone can understand that it is necessarily true just through pure reason. You don't need material facts about the world to know that people don't like those things and would never actually vote for them. He goes on to talk about Mike Pence and whether or not he did the right thing to address that election theft, that election fraud. See problems, but it's very interesting. So after the election was over, the rhinos got together with the Democrats and they redid the election. So you couldn't do it anymore. So then I called the people. I said, so in other words, you're saying I was right. You could do it. Yes, you could do it. In other words, they took the voting act. And they redid it so the vice president no longer has the power to do what I said he could do. So when that happened, I said, wow. So and, you know, you'd look some of these Democrats in the eye and they say he has absolutely no right to do it. And immediately after the election, they met rhinos, condemn them all and Democrats. And they approved legislation that takes away the right of the vice president to do it. So I said, ah, so you're saying I was right. The vice president did have the right to do it. And they said, yes, he did. So if you're saying they stole it from you last time, why wouldn't they do the same this time? Oh, well, they'll try. They're going to be trying, yeah. But, and not, not only me, you know. Look, uh, DeSantis is out. I think he's gone. So he was, he was at a level. He's, people have figured him out. He's gone. But if somebody else got in other than me, they'll go at him just as viciously as they did me. 
These people are sick. Uh, they will go after them. And a lot of people say they won't be able to hold up. I do get credit for holding up quite well, I must tell you. I think it's... Uh, How do you do that? How do you get indicted, you know, every week and stay I cheerful? It's, uh, I think it, it's a lot easier because I'm, I'm so high in the polls because it means the people get it. The people see it's a fraud. The people see it. Now, he's talking about how right after the fake inauguration took place and the new Congress was in place, they immediately tried to pass legislation that would have federalized our elections, made universal mail-in balloting and ballot harvesting legal, made sure there could be no voter ID anywhere. And then they wanted to amend the Electoral Count Act to make sure that no vice president in the future could ever send it back to the states, which he's saying is clear proof that Mike Pence had the ability to do that. Now, that may have caused a constitutional crisis in itself, and they may not have wanted to deal with that at the time. But the idea that there's just the one fact and Mike Pence couldn't do it, that idea is crazy. There is at the very least some legitimate constitutional argument about that. And then, of course, there's also eventually going to be the question of whether the Electoral Count Act is itself constitutional in the first place. Were they worried about the country erupting? That is very possible. And this question came up at the end. Do you think we're moving towards civil war? There's tremendous passion and there's tremendous love. Uh, you know, January 6th was a very interesting day because they don't report it properly. Uh, I believe it was the largest crowd I've ever spoken before. And you know some of the crowds I've spoken before. And uh, like July 4th on the mall, uh, I think they had a million people there. Uh, but I think that the biggest crowd I've ever spoken before was on January 6th. And people that were in that crowd, a very, very small group of people, and we said patriotically and peacefully, peacefully and patriotically, right? Nobody ever says that. Go peacefully and patriotically. But people that were in that crowd that day, very small group of people, went down there and then you there are a lot of a lot of scenarios that we can talk about but people in that crowd said it was the most beautiful day they've ever experienced there was love in that crowd. there was love and unity i have never seen such spirit and such passion and such love and i've also never seen simultaneously and from the same people such hatred of what they've done to our country so do you think it's possible that there's open conflict? We seem to be moving I, I don't towards know. something. I don't know, because I don't know what it, you know, I, I can say this. Uh, there's a level of passion that I've never seen. There's a level of hatred that I've never seen. And that's probably a bad combination. Donald Trump, thank you. Now, it's not possible to know what the future brings, but imagine what the answer would have been had Trump done anything dramatic in January of 2021. That's when we might have had open conflict. All of this has avoided open conflict. That's why it's necessary. No matter what damage you can ascribe to the illegitimate regime that has happened over these last few years, none of it is even comparable to open conflict in a civil war on American streets. That is the most damaging possible thing. And it is quite possible that Donald Trump being willing to step away is what has prevented that in this country. 
So we have the ridiculous comical farce that is the Republican primary debate. And then we have the duly elected president with Tucker Carlson, very calm, very rational, very composed and well-spoken. He's funny and personable, but also taking the issues seriously. Americans around the country who are looking for an alternative to the illegitimate president and the agenda of the global regime had their options on display last night. They can go with one of those ridiculous clowns in the debate, or they can go with the actual president, Donald Trump, who knows what he's talking about, who takes the issues seriously, who is thoughtful about those issues and informed and has actual positions that he will state regardless of who out there agrees with him. He is right now being displayed as everything the branding on Donald Trump by the media suggested he was not. Is he the narcissist? Is he reckless? Is he stupid? Is he self-involved? Is this all about his ego? Is he corrupt and compromised? Is he guilty of crimes? None of that makes any sense. Is the establishment the serious alternative to Donald Trump? Absolutely not. They all embarrass themselves. They have embarrassed the establishment. Joe Biden is an embarrassment for the Democratic establishment. We will continue seeing Robert F. Kennedy Jr. rise on that side as we see more and more people coalesce around Donald Trump. This was a disastrous night for everyone on that primary stage except Vivek Ramaswamy. It was a disaster for the media because their television shows, their presentations of these ridiculous debates where people are raising their hands and talking over one another look absolutely ridiculous and petty. They look like they are creating narratives and creating drama. And of course, that's exactly what they're doing. And the establishment of both parties, which is actually the uniparty establishment, is getting absolutely hammered at every turn. So, of course, they're very angry about the whole thing. And the media wants to tamp down the impact of Trump's interview. Patriots in Control put together this little graphic that compiled a bunch of the mainstream media headlines. Forbes says Trump's interview with Tucker Carlson has more than 150 million views on X. Here's why that's misleading. The Washington Post writes, Trump suggests in Carlson interview that U.S. could see more political violence. Is that what his answer sounded like? The Hill writes, Trump receives no pushback from Tucker Carlson when pushing voter fraud. Ha, that's because it's true. The New York Times says Trump, during Tucker Carlson interview, belittles Republican rivals. Associated Press, Trump praises January 6th crowd, repeats election lies in online interview while skipping GOP debate. Is that what happened? ABC News says Trump, in Tucker Carlson interview, says other GOP candidates shouldn't be running for president. And of course, he's right because it's a fake primary and because the election in 2020 was stolen. They are complicit in helping the regime cover up that steal and make sure that our elections are never legitimate. Rolling Stone says Epstein shower time and civil war. Trump's Tucker interview got really weird. And yes, so weird. Trump said he wasn't sure whether or not Epstein killed himself. Intelligencer in New York Magazine says the craziest moments from Trump's Tucker Carlson interview. And NBC News says Trump's debate counter programming got weird. So the interview got weird. Did that sound weird to you? Why would they want to tell people that it's weird? Oh, it's so more people won't watch it for themselves. Always. The media has to direct everybody back to the central narrative. That's the only job there. And you all certainly know that I say these things plenty of times 
but I would love to end today's show with a wonderful rant from the great, great Steve Bannon. The end of the Republican, the old Republican Party ended in Milwaukee last night. For, and it came out in all of its glory, all of its glory. And today you don't see him there. You don't see any of those people there supporting Trump down with Trump, etc. We're going to go and get all that. Plus, get into the bricks of it all, because what is happening here is amazing. And that is signal. What happened last night is noise. Except for that watershed moment when they all came out and said Pence was right. Trump lost. Prince was right. And Biden's a legitimate president. Remember, to me, that's a gating. Event. If you can't answer those correct number one question. Very simple. Did Donald Trump win the 2020 election? Yes or no? No hubbada, 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 hubbada. Number two, is Joe Biden a legitimate president of the United States? Boom, answer those questions. If you answer that Trump did not win, out. If you answer that Biden's legitimate, out. No need to hear anything else. Don't need to hear your agriculture policy. Don't need to hear you talk about woke. Don't need to hear any of it. It's not relevant. There's only one litmus test. That's it. I keep saying it. All the other stuff is irrelevant. If they want to talk about other things, it's because they're avoiding this. The election fraud, the stolen elections. That's the important thing. You can't have a country without legitimate elections. And once the people know the elections are stolen from them, the game is changed. It is the only thing that matters. And it is the thing that underlies everything else. You want to fix all those other elections, fix election fraud. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!